for Samuel 25. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives and as your soul lives, because the lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from sin, and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Christ community. My name is Jason Baum. I'm Another of the elders here at the church, it's my privilege to bring this passage before us this morning. For those of you who don't know me, and even for those of you who do, you will know that I do love the movies. love to go for a few hours, sit in a dark theater, forget the world outside, put a big tub of buttery popcorn on my lap, and be transported to another world. One of the funnest worlds for me to go to are the superhero worlds. When I was younger, my favorite superhero was Superman. The Christopher Reeve Superman movies were the first superhero movies I saw. And I thought it would be fun to fly, to be faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to jump tall buildings in a single bound. I loved Superman. But as I've gotten older, my fondness for Superman has dwindled. Now, there's a few factors to this. First, Marvel is better at making movies than DC Comics. I like Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man far better than Ben Affleck as Batman. But, secondly, Superman is just too perfect. After all, what is Superman anxious about? He has no flaws. He never seems conflicted. There's no weakness inherent in him. His only weakness really is a green glowing rock that is not natural to Earth. Other superheroes, though, have something wrong with them. Bruce Banner, the Hulk, he he is tormented by what he turns into. Scott Lang, You might be asking Scott Lang. That's Ant-Man. He's divorced, a convicted felon, on house arrest. Bruce Wayne, Batman, is the Dark Knight. And, And their flaws, for me, make them more relatable. They're more relatable to me than Superman is, who is perfect. 
Well, as we've been going through this series on David, if I'm honest, there's a lot of times where David comes off to me in the stories we've studied so far as Superman. He's just touch too perfect for me to relate to. David and Goliath, little David with perfect aim, takes down Goliath, the giant. And this is after little David has told his brothers how he has perfectly killed lions and bears with his bare hands. David has a perfect friend in Jonathan who swears complete alliance to David. David and Saul, as we've looked at, and as we'll look at a little bit more today, David has perfectly and graciously spared Saul's life. When the mighty men around him are saying, kill Saul, David, with perfect self-discipline, perfect restraint, perfect obedience, trusts in the Lord. But today's story, David and Abigail, David is not Superman. He's flawed, he's human, and he's relatable. But before we dive into this story, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for the way that you've worked, that you worked in David's life. Father, thank you for the stories of David. And thank you that in both his triumphs and in his flaws, we can see Jesus. And I pray that you would do that this morning through this story, that we would see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So David and Abigail may not be the most well-known of the David stories that we're going to look at. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 25, and it takes place when David is on the run from Saul. He's in the wilderness, and he tells his men to go to this rich man, Nabal, or Nabal. Verses 6 through 8, David tells his men, thus you shall greet him, peace be to you, and peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now, your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing at all in the time that they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day, and please give us whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. David sends his men to visit Nabal, and he asks them to do three things. First, bid them peace. Some commentators have translated what he asks his men to tell Nabal this way. Long life to you, good health to you, and to your household, and good health to all that is yours. Peace be to you. Second, David's men are to remind or inform Nabal that they have been protecting his flocks. Just a few chapters before this, in 1 Samuel 23, there's an account of how David and his men attack the Philistines, and they take away all of the Philistines' livestock. Well, David wants his men to tell Nabal, we haven't done that to you. We've protected you. And third, then David asks for food. Whatever Nabal has on hand, he's a rich man after all, could he give some to David and his men on this feast day? And Nabal... Here's the request, here's those three things, and he does not react kindly to the request. Verses 10 through 11, and Nabal answered David's servant, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men 
who I don't who come from I do not know where. There's something striking about this response. Verse 11 in particular, the selfishness of Nabal's response. Verse 11 alone. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? At least seven times in one sentence, Nabal refers to himself. Our text tells us that Nabal is a fool. But what does it mean biblically to be a fool? Proverbs 28.26 says that a fool trusts his own heart. David in Psalm 14 talks about a fool, and he writes that a fool in his heart says, there is no God. A fool, like Nabal, is self-consumed. I, me, mine. I'll take what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want. Selfishness and foolishness are very closely connected. It's about me. So after Nabal responds, it's about me and I'm going to keep what's mine. Get out of here. David's men, in fact, do leave and they go back to David and they tell him what Nabal has said. David does not react well to Nabal not reacting well. Read verse 12 through 13. So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained at the baggage. If you skip down to verse 22, David says that by morning he will not leave one male of Nabal's alive. They'll all be dead. 400 men are going with David, and they are going to wipe out Nabal and all of his men. When I was in high school, there was a song that I liked. Regulate by Warren G. and Nate Dog with two Gs. Regulate. And at the beginning of that song, they had this cry, Regulators, mount up. And then they rap about how they're going to go regulate. 16 in the clip and one in the hole. Nate Dogg is about to make some bodies turn cold. Maybe, maybe that song's not your cup of tea. Maybe you're more of a Johnny Cash fan. Johnny Cash, you can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. But sooner or later, I'm going to cut you down. Songs about revenge, settling the score. I'm going to regulate. I'm going to cut you down. We can, well, I shouldn't speak for all of us. I can relate to those songs. I'm going to settle these scores. And here, David has that same response, and he's not Superman. He knows, Nabal knows who David is, and David knows that Nabal knows who he is. David's killed Goliath by this point. David has defeated the Philistines by this point. People have been singing, Saul struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. Nabal knew full well who David was and yet responded, who's David? Who's this son of Jesse? And David's response, okay, you want to slight me, Nabal? I'll show you who I am and I'm going to burn you down. I'm going to regulate. I'm going to cut you down. 
And what is striking about David's instincts here in Psalm or in Samuel 25 is it's sandwiched on two accounts of David and Saul. And we've looked at one of these. In Saul, in 1 Samuel 24, David finds Saul in a cave. And remember what he does? He doesn't take matters into his own hands. He, he cuts off a piece of Saul's cloak just to kind of let him know he was there. But he doesn't strike down Saul. And in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 26, David and his men again come upon Saul and he's sleeping. And one of David's men literally tells him, pin him to the ground, stick a fork in him, put this spear through Saul. Saul is standing between you and your throne, just end it already. And David doesn't do that. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. Instead, he takes Saul's spear and a jug of water just again to let Saul know, I could have done this, but I didn't. I trust the Lord. I'm not going to take matters into his own hands. Saul was David's real enemy. And David had a real reason to strike Saul down, and yet he didn't do it. He trusted the Lord and didn't take matters into his own hands. But in between this, we have this account of David and a fool named Nabal, who, who just insults or slights David, and suddenly, bam, David is going to take matters into his own hands. Regulators, mount up, strap on your sword, let's go, we're wiping all of them out. Every man in Nabal's clan is going to be dead by morning. One commentator summarized David's reaction as venomous. And I think that's right. It's venomous. You slight me, I'll get you. And David's response is similar to Nabal's in this regard as well. It's selfish. Surely in vain I have guarded this fellow. He has returned me evil for good. I will strike down all of the men. I, me, mine. David's looking out for his glory, not God's glory. Nabal was looking out for his stuff, not God's stuff. Selfishness and foolishness mark both David and Nabal in this story. But thankfully, there's a third character in this story, Abigail. Abigail is Nabal's wife, and she's described in verse 3 as discerning and beautiful. And her response in this story stands in stark contrast to the men of this story. Nabal and David react with selfishness. Abigail responds with selflessness. After Nabal insulted David and sent his men away, Nabal's servants then tell Abigail about what has happened. Now, Abigail doesn't know what's going on with David and his men, but she anticipates what David's response is going to be. So she rides out to stop this. And what does she ride out with? Verse 18. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five sheaves of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and two hundred cakes of figs and laid them on a donkey. Abigail is going out with exactly the stuff that Nabal refused to give to David's men. She's going out with what Nabal denied. Food, lots of food, two hundred loaves. She's like a biblical Panera Bread company, apparently. Two hundred loaves, that shows you how 
wealthy Nabal is, but to have that just on hand, hey, we got to get there, David's going to come, and we got to pacify him. But how did she anticipate what David's reaction was going to be? She doesn't know the story. It's not being read to her like we're reading it here. She anticipates the story, though, because she knows how human beings respond. Human beings respond with, you slight me, I'll fix you. She knew what was going to happen because she knows that David is a human being. But Abigail, beautiful, wise, and discerning, rides out to stop it. Her plea to David, verse 23. We've read it before, let's read it again. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feast and said, On me alone, O Lord, be the guilt. Let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your and from saving with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do you evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to you and the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. On me alone, O Lord, be the guilt. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. David's venomous selfishness needed someone to intercede for him. And she did intercede. And look at how he responds. Verse 32, And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion. And blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from avenging myself with my own hand. Abigail's beautiful discretion Save David from blood guilt. And after this, David sends her back to Nabal, and Nabal is having a party. And verse 36 says that he was very drunk. And when he sobered up in the morning, that's when Abigail told him what she had done. Verse 37. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Then the story ends with David takes Abigail as his wife, and then he takes, in verse 43, another woman as his wife, and he takes both of these women as his wife when he already has a wife. And it's not an accident how the Bible describes David acquiring these wives, he takes, takes, mine, I want that. When I want, how I want, where I want, I'll take it. The same selfishness that marked Nabal, that marked David, is again present in the way David takes. And this foreshadows flaws of David that we'll see in the future. And that's how this story ends, David taking two more wives. Well, what do we make of this story? I think there's two things that we can take 
from this story. First, where comfort lies. At the beginning of this series, Craig told us rightly that the story and the life of David points to Jesus. How exactly, though, does this story of David point to Jesus? Well, it doesn't point to Jesus in that David resembles Jesus in this story. It points to Jesus, though, that David needs a Savior. He needs someone to intercede on his behalf. He needs someone to cure his venomous selfishness. He needs a cure. And in this instance, the cure came from a person who had done no wrong, who arrived on a donkey and then pleaded for forgiveness. I hope that cure sounds familiar to you. Jesus, who had done no wrong, arrived in Jerusalem on a donkey and then from the cross pled, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, David in this story is more relatable, perhaps, because he's screwing up. And I like David better when he's flawed. That brings me comfort. But that's a problem. You see, comfort doesn't lie in how I relate to the sinful characters in the Bible. Comfort lies in how the only sinless character in the Bible relates to me. The point isn't how I relate to Superman. The point is how Superman relates to me. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we, that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Comfort lies in Jesus alone that he will intercede for our venomous, foolish selfishness, the way that Abigail interceded for David's. His grace intercedes for our venom, his wisdom for our foolishness, his selflessness for our selfishness. And that's where comfort lies. Not that I can relate somehow now to this flawed man, but that an unflawed man can relate to us. In addition to where comfort lies, another thing we can take away from this story is that beauty witnesses. The men in this story, David and Nabal, are marked by selfishness, and it's ugly. Abigail, on the other hand, is marked by wisdom and selflessness, and it's beautiful. Her beauty witnessed to David, and not just her physical beauty, that she arrives on the scene with all of this food and she must have been like a vision to him in the wilderness. But her beautiful response to Nabal's selfishness also witnessed to David. It was her beautiful plea for forgiveness that had a witness to David, that saved him from trying to save himself, that saved him from blood guilt. Her beauty witnessed, it showed something to David. And as I've been preparing this sermon and studying this text for this sermon, I've been reminded again and again about the witness that beauty has. On Friday mornings, I'm part of a FCA meeting at our high school. And men get together and we talk about how we can use the platform of coaching youth sports for good, how we can be a transformational rather than a transactional coach. And this week we were talking about team chemistry. 
And one man remarked about how when a team is functioning properly, it is beautiful, both on and off the court. Take basketball, on the court, there's good ball movement, there's right spacing, good passing, layups. Off the court, there's positive touches, people are giving each other high fives, or encouraging one another when things aren't going well, not blaming the officials for their own shortcomings. And when we watch this as fans, we're drawn to it. There is an allure to the beauty of sports when it's played properly. We want to be a part of it. It witnesses to us. Beauty witnesses. Yesterday, as an elder team, we were meeting and praying, and I was also struck by the beauty of the prayers of the Dunn family. Just a few weeks ago, they're asking and they are praying about adoption. Does the Lord have that for a busy family, raising two young girls with careers and commitments? Just a few weeks ago, they're praying about adoption, and then last Sunday, they walk in with their new son. That's beautiful. And it has a witness. And so does the way that we care for our own kids or foster kids or you change diapers in kids' care. That has a witness. Selflessness, beauty has a witness. So how do we become more beautiful? Well, that goes back to where does our comfort lie? Rather than dwell on the failings of David and how I can relate to that, the point of today's story is to dwell on the beauty of Abigail and how that fixed and cured his ugliness. Rather than dwell on ourselves, the way we become more beautiful is to dwell on him, not our own imperfections. See, the way that we typically become beautiful or try to become beautiful is we look in the mirror and we study our imperfections and how can I cover that up? But to really become beautiful, you have to turn the mirror from yourself, I, me, mine, and you have to turn your mirror to him. And in that way, we can reflect or witness to others his beauty, not our beauty. The way we become more beautiful is not by studying ourselves, but by studying him. Studying that which is truly beautiful. And it is in Jesus that comfort and beauty ultimately lie. Would you pray with me? Father, your word tells us that whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Father, I confess that I'm tempted to think more about the opposite things. What's wrong? The scandals, the flaws. Would you, would you fix that in me? Would you fix that in us? That instead of dwelling on the imperfections and the ugliness and the selfishness that lies within us, that we would dwell on your Son. He ultimately is true and honorable, just, pure, and lovely. 
It is your son where all of these things lie. It is your son who is beautiful. And may we find comfort in that beauty and may we witness that beauty to others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.